0: So I want to give you a brief history lesson this morning. Uh, Back in 1905, O.W. Gurley, uh, a wealthy black landowner, purchased 40 acres of land in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He envisioned with another man, J.B. Stratford, a black lawyer, that the best chance for success uh, in the midst of racism in the 1920s uh, for African-American families was to pool their resources together, work together, and support one another's businesses. And so by 1921, it became the most prosperous center for Black families in America, uh, where Black families owned and ran over 600 businesses in this Greenwood Avenue community. There were 21 Black churches, restaurants, 30 grocery stores, movie theaters, even a bank, and their own school system. And so uh, this area had been dubbed, these 40 acres was, was dubbed the Black Wall Street of 1921 now on May 30th of that year 1921 a 19 year old boy uh, stepped into an elevator onto a white woman's foot and into history uh, he was falsely accused of assaulting her and it incited a mob of white men to go into uh, the black Wall Street area and start looting and burning and shooting people for two days straight By the end of those two days, 35 blocks, 1,250 homes, businesses, churches, a middle school, and the only hospital were burned completely to the ground. 10,000 black people were left homeless, 300 murdered, their bodies dumped into the Arkansas River, onto trains, and into unmarked mass graves. And the Tulsa Massacre was one of the worst race incidents in the history of the United States. And yet, there were no convictions related to the violence. Instead, there were decades of silence about the horror and the loss experienced those two days, even in our history books. I suspect that many of us are not that familiar with uh, this major chapter in the history of the United States. And my question for you this morning is, does that make you angry? And it should. Injustice that violates God's righteousness should make us angry, as it does God. We experience in our society things like violence, or we see racism, oppression, and corruption. And that's a violation of God's justice, and it should make us angry. We experience it personally when we're wronged by a stranger or cut off by somebody on the road, you're betrayed by a spouse or taken advantage of by a coworker. And so the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry about evil and injustice in God's eyes, yet do not sin in your anger. And so the question we want to answer this morning is how do followers of Jesus respond when we see, when we experience injustice and unrighteousness in this world. If you have a Bible, you want to turn in it to James chapter 1. We're in this series called Vibrant, where we're learning that there's a faith that works even when the life around us does not. And last week, as we opened up this series, we were reminded that there's a tendency in us to be nearsighted when, when we experience pain that our eyes focus solely on the pain in front of us and that we need a new lens to see circumstances through heaven's eyes. And so as we're tested by trials and temptations, that a vibrant faith perseveres by living out God's wisdom and that he generously gives that to us when we ask, when we trust, and when we put it into practice in our lives. And James knows that the Jewish Christians who are receiving this letter from him, they've been hurt by the trials of persecution and prejudice and pain. They're tempted to be angry about the wrongs done against them. Justifiably so. And so he shares this morning with us wisdom. How to live out God's righteousness when we're wounded by the unrighteousness of people and circumstances in this world. So let's pick up In James chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to cover one verse that we read already last week. Of his own will, God's, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of god therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul so let's put this passage into context here the jewish christians receiving this letter they're frustrated by the trials that they're experiencing in this life they're persecuted from outside the church they're experiencing conflict within the church and so James encourages them in verse 19, Beloved, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And we know that this is good advice because when we feel wronged, we tend to do the very opposite. We only hear what we want, when we want, and the combination of a quick tongue and a quick temper inflicts harm on others that we often cannot take back. And so a lot of times we'll interpret this passage as Dealing with anger by simply listening better. And that's godly and it's wise, but it's actually a side issue. And so the right question we want to start off with, with this passage, is quick to hear what? And so we included verse 18, because what's happening here between 18 and 21, their book ends of the theme of this passage. So listen closely, verse 18. By God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Verse 21, the other book end to this theme, receive with meekness the implanted word of God. And so this isn't just about controlling your anger by listening better. It's really about how do we listen to God? What do we do with his word? How do we receive it and live it out? And you remember that is wisdom, the application of godly knowledge. And so as we experience injustice in society, personally, we tend to boil with anger. And it seems natural, even righteous at times, to vent that anger verbally, maybe even violently, to right that wrong. But verse 20 tells us that the anger of our words does not produce the righteousness of God's word. Did you catch that? that we have words that come out when we're angry that will not produce the righteousness that God's word intends for us. And and you and I we know exactly what that means. So imagine or you don't have to imagine. You know, you experience this. A parent or a child or your boss or your spouse, they said something to you or they did something terrible to you. And so you feel enraged, and then there's that moment. You know what I'm talking about. If you say what you really think or what you really feel, you know it will intentionally hurt that person. Well, I'm just being honest and telling it like it is. No, we're just being foolish and saying it like we shouldn't. And so you already know that what you're about to say won't help the situation, won't fix the problem. It'll probably actually make things worse, but it'll feel really good coming out of your mouth to be able to to zing that person with what you want to say. How could you be so stupid? I don't care how you feel about it. What is wrong with you? And just like that, you and I lose the moral high ground because of the venting of our anger in words. It doesn't produce God's righteousness. It just indulges our sinfulness. Just like we talked about last week in verses 13 through 18. And so an uncontrolled tongue and temper drive people deep into sin and far from God. And so the big idea of this whole text that we're going to read this morning is that in the testing of our faith, in the trials of life, we're called to live out the righteousness of God instead of the self-righteousness of our anger. Well, how do we do that? Here's the starting point. Look at verse 21. It says, therefore, and you remember whenever we read the Bible, that when, you, when there's a therefore, you need to ask, what's a therefore? Because that's a conclusion. There's an application that we're being taught. He says, therefore, strip off this moral filth that is caking the garment of our lives. Strip off that moral filth and strip off that rampant wickedness. And I want you to look at that word. The word wickedness there is actually the word in the original language, malice. In other words, that evil intent to harm other people. And so it's talking about the venting of our anger in harmful and hurtful ways. Now, Remember what I'm saying here. What I'm not saying here is that it's not, is it wrong to be angry when people sin against you? No. When we're angry, it's an early warning system that we're, it tells us our bodies, our, our, our hearts are telling us we're in pain in some way. And it's a reflection of the image of God because God in his range of emotions, he gets angry over injustice. But our anger comes with a lot of baggage. And so before we can deal with that person's sinfulness, we need to deal with our own. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7 verse 5, deal with the log in your own eye before you try to help somebody or deal with the splinter in somebody else's eye. And so instead of venting our anger at someone as a first response, literally at the end of this verse, it says, in meekness, receive the word. Now, this is different than almost all of your translations of the Bible in, uh, in English. Uh, in, your, in, in the ESV, it says, um, receive with meekness the implanted word. But actually, that's not the literal translation. And the reason why I want to point that out to you is because the order matters here. Because what it's telling us, in meekness, receive the word, is that we need to prepare the soil of our hearts before we can receive the word of God. We're being called to a posture of meekness first. And this is important, okay? Meekness is not weakness. It doesn't mean be a doormat, be silent, take the abuse. We're instructed by James to be slow to speak, not to not speak and call out sin and confront it when, we, when it happens against us. But biblically, the word meekness means being able to put your strength under control. And so I want you to think about it this way. It's from a position of humility. We can hear and receive the word of God that not only saves us to eternal life in verse 21, but it also works in this life to make us more like Jesus, more holy, including how we deal with anger and our hurts. And so it looks like this, that as we come before God in a posture of humility, we become more humble, more gentle, more self-controlled, instead of lashing out with wrath and condemnation against people who hurt us. Because, hear me now, meekness is the opposite of the arrogance and entitlement of anger. Did you hear me? Because a lot of times we don't realize, as we're venting our anger, it's filled with this arrogance and entitlement of, I deserve this, And you deserve the punishment I get to dole out as judge, jury, and executioner. But meekness is its opposite. And so I want to start off by asking you, when you start to feel angry, will you simply take a moment to pause in the fury of your actions and reactions and words so that you can hear from God his wisdom and his words? Well, how do we be angry? And not sin against people. Remember, meekness before God is the antidote to our rage against men. And so when you know that Jesus loves you, that he saves you, that he has power to change you, that we can humbly hold up our pain and our hurt from this person to Jesus with open hands and invite him to take out any skewed or sinful intentions and attitudes and instead replace that with his truth and his grace from his word. We'll talk about what that looks like in more detail in a few moments. But as we approach Jesus, surrendering, surrendering the arrogance and the sinfulness of our anger and allowing his truth and his grace to give us meekness, What we do next with God's word will show if we are self-controlled by Jesus's meekness or if we're out of control in our anger. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, there's that word again that we saw earlier in chapter 1 last week, of being steadfast and persevering, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. So in verse 22, as you face trials and temptations to anger, Listening to the word of God is a good starting point, but don't stop there. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself into thinking that my life and my faith are fine when I'm not putting any of God's words into practice. And so in verse 22, 23 to 24, he says, he gives us an illustration. It's like gazing into a mirror and saying to yourself, man, I don't look so good. I don't look so healthy. Is that a stain on my face? I should wash, wash it. Does that look infected? I should get that checked out. But then, you just walk off and you forget what you saw. And that is what it's like when we hold up the mirror of God's word. His truth is revealing what we're really like, where we need to change, how we can grow from where we're stuck, what to give up for Jesus, what to hold tight for Jesus. And so you and I, we know this experience, we get convicted, maybe during a Bible study or listening to a sermon and maybe you even took notes, but then 15 minutes afterwards, our focus fades to, what am I going to have for lunch? What am I going to do today? What am I going to do next? And so we get spiritual amnesia. So in verse 25, he says, instead, hold up the mirror of God's perfect word that frees us and fulfills us forever, and then persevere in it, persevere in not just being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts upon that word of God. And as we persevere, as we are steadfast in acting on the scriptures, what happens to us? We're blessed in the doing of the word of God. Now, what it's not saying is that if you just do what the Bible says, then your life will go smoothly and everything will be easier and you won't have trials or difficulties. You won't get into conflicts. What he is saying is that you know that without feeling. There's times when it is just painful and hard to be obedient to Jesus. And yet, in that, we'll experience the power of Christ, the joy of Christ in it. And so the point here is that don't deceive yourself by hearing God's word without doing God's word. Does that make sense? That real faith does both. Remember what we talked about last week, that hearing gives us knowledge and information, but wisdom translates it into application. And so this is the central theme throughout the entire book of James, not just in this section about dealing with uh, injustice or unrighteousness, but that vibrant faith perseveres by living out God's wisdom and his word, including how we handle our hurts and our anger. So, a husband and wife, both believers, were bickering uh, one afternoon over money issues, about how uh, they were spending. And you know how that goes, that you're bickering about one issue, but then you start bringing it, remember that time when you did this? Oh yeah, remember that time when you did that? And suddenly we're keeping a whole list, or bringing up our record of wrongs of the other person, the opposite of what we're told to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? And so they're having this more contentious and contentious conversation, And it starts turning towards more personal attacks. Ever had that happen to you? And so the wife says to him, you remember how much you spent on that stupid bike? And the husband shot back. Well, do you remember all the times that you wasted money on all that useless stuff that you buy online that you never use? So which one of us is really the selfish one? And which one of us is the stupid one? And so you can imagine this woman, she said her eyes started to fill up with tears of anger. And she was searching for that verbal punch that she could give, give to them to knock this idiot out on his backside. Her words, not mine. And so there was that moment. But instead, she was thinking to herself, not even really praying, I don't know what to do, Lord. And what could only be God brought into her mind a verse, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, his restraint, and his patience, not knowing it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? As that verse kind of popped up in her mind in the middle of this argument, she started remembering all the times that God had been patient to her and forgiving to her winning her back, not with criticism and condemnation, but with kindness that helped to lower her guard so that she could reflect and feel remorse and repent for her sin and the hurt that she caused to her heavenly father. And she began to wonder if it would do the same for her husband through her if she turned her remembrance from all the things that he does wrong towards kindness. And so she took a deep breath, and the husband tensed, waiting for her comeback about the record of wrongs that she remembered. And she instead said, I also remember how you gave up some of your hobbies to save up money for our family vacation. And she could tell by the look on his face, it's kind of like, what is this? What, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and so she responded, I'm still hurt. I'm still mad. She's being honest. But I think about how kind and forgiving God has been with me, and i haven 't been doing that with you today, so i 'm trying to show you that i don 't just remember all the frustrations, but I also remember all the sacrifices that you 've made for me and for our family he didn 't know how to respond, and so instead she continued going on went on with this list of all the ways that you 've been a good husband you 've been a good father you 've been a good man, and she could see even in his as his Physical posture began to shift. So did his heart. Now, what I want you to catch here, did you catch the turning point of their conversation? She's still fuming, but she made a choice. I can either ignore God and his word and tear this man a new one, or I can try something very different. Putting the word of God, trusting that it is true, and putting it into practice. And so I want to ask you, I want you to think about in a recent trial that you've you've experienced. You felt infuriated and frustrated. What Bible verse keeps grabbing your attention? What is God holding up as a mirror to you? Speaking the word into your situation, convicting your heart, pointing you in a different direction. And have you acted upon it? Perhaps today, Is your day to do so. Now, if my self righteousness and anger aren't the answer to my pains and trials, then what does God's righteousness look like? Verse 26 If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, still talking about anger, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, you and I, you know, we've heard the word religion and it often gets a bad rap. We interpret it in our modern times as when people are too focused on the external rules and behaviors and and that people are being religious, they're just maintaining the, the image of holiness without actually having the real thing. But I want to teach you what it means biblically in the biblical language. In the Bible, it simply means the outward expression reflecting the inner condition of your faith and worship of God. Okay, So it's the outward response to our inward faith. And so verse 26 starts off. If you think that you're living out God's word and wisdom, that you go to church and you go to your small group weekly, maybe you give some money and serve in a ministry occasionally, but you don't put a leash on your self-righteous word and anger and tongue, then you're deluding yourself. Then all that other stuff you do, all the other religious stuff you do, all the other outward expressions of your faith, does that religion have still a lot of value, have some value? It's worthless. That it's a hypocritical self-deception in opposition to to living out God's wisdom. And I want you to catch that because this is the third time that James has said in chapter 1, he's mentioned deceiving ourselves. And so it's one of the big themes of James is that self-deception, false perception of our faith and relationship with God is the opposite to living out God's wisdom. And so the testing of our faith in times of trial isn't how well we speak, but how well we control our speech. Verse 27, instead of unleashing your tongue and your temper at injustice, pure religion is this, working out the word of God in God's holiness and righteousness. And he talks about it, doing it in two ways. So instead of just getting mad about life or getting mad at the injustice that you perceive and inventing it your way, here's how God wants you to express his holiness and His righteousness against injustice. Number one, visit orphans and widows. Now that seems like a kind of a strange left turn, but, but I want you to think about it this way. Back then, men were the primary breadwinners in the home. And so they had all the legal rights back in their, their society. Uh, they held the accounts and the property and the businesses were always under their name. So if your husband died or if your dad died, if you're a woman who's too old to remarry, or if you were a son who's not old enough to work yet, if you had no son, if you had no other income, who do you think ends up being the most powerless and the poorest in the community? The fatherless and the widows. Now, this passage is not limited to just saying, okay, only visit widows and orphans, because uh, in the Bible, this is a shorthand. You'll see this phrase a lot, the fatherless and the widow, the fatherless and the widow. It's a shorthand for those who are most vulnerable, disadvantaged, oppressed, and distressed in society. So if you're passionate against injustice, if you're the kind of person that gets riled up and angry about uh, injustice that's done against you, don't just think about yourself, but speak God's righteousness through care for those who are in need. And I want you to pay attention to this. Did you see this in the passage? It's not just saying give more money to charities, it's saying get involved personally. You visit orphans and widows in affliction. Get to know people and their needs. Encourage them and bless them with your prayer, with your support. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 through 18 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and truth. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 through 18. When you get riled up by injustice, don't address it with the anger of your words but do something about it. Live out God's righteousness by helping those who are experiencing injustice. Secondly, keep yourself unstained from the world. So many of the messages in the world today stain our soul, that we're constantly bombarded by advertisements, entertainment, and media telling us, about the treasures and the pleasures of this life that derail our priorities and our values away from Jesus, his righteousness, his kingdom, and his justice. So that when we encounter trials, when we encounter injustice, we react the same way that the rest of the world does. Well, they'll be okay. There's organizations and charities and churches that deal with things like that. So I just need to look out for myself, my own enjoyment, my own needs. Or... The other way that the world stains our souls is we see something and we say, that's not right. And so I'm going to unleash online and in person with my fire-breathing fury in a sinful way. But that's not Jesus' way. That's not our way. And so the point here is that we're called to speak the righteousness of God's word instead of the self-righteousness of our own angry words through caring for the needy and through our personal integrity. I know many of you care deeply about justice and righteousness, about doing the right thing. If you want to do it from a kingdom perspective, then who do you need to visit and care for today? There's someone suffering because they're in need, because they're hurt and angry, because they're invisible. They are the widows and the orphans. Of our world today. And as you encounter injustice and conflict, we're so steeped in the news and the views of the world around us that we can't help but respond sinfully and selfishly and angrily. And so the only way to counteract the stain of this world is by saturating ourselves in the Word of God to give us a better perspective, a better truth, better wisdom for living in how we deal with the hurts of the world and life around us. Does that make sense? Keep yourself unstained from the world. Instead, coat yourself in, soak yourself in the goodness and the truth, the freedom and the wisdom of the Word of God. Let's put some skin on it, though. This whole topic, many of you who have been paying attention to the news know that this past week, that there was a shooting in a cluster of massage parlors in Atlanta, where eight people were murdered, six of them Asian women, because a man was objectifying them as sexual temptations instead of people made with dignity in the image of God. A few days later, closer to home in San Francisco, a man decided that he would assault an 83-year-old man and try to beat up a 76-year-old woman who was a tough old bird and fought him off, both of them elderly, both of them Asian. And it seems like every week we're confronted in the news of reports of blaming and shaming of Asian Americans as if we made of this virus, as if we are this virus, as if we do not belong here. And there's multiple incidents of elderly Asian Americans who get beaten in the face and knocked down on the ground in unprovoked attacks. And because of their age and their frailty, many of them die. And it doesn't matter what the individual motives are of the people who are hurting others, but too many of these incidences added up together are a smacking of racism and misogyny against the Asian American community. And so this hits really close to home for me. I think about this could be my mom. This could be my stepdad. That could have been my wife. That could have been my children. Who are suffering. So some of us this morning are scared. Some of us are grieving. Some of us feel invisible because we've been brought up not to speak up when it's about you or about people like you. And many of us are angry. Remember today's passage. Let the word of God comfort you. Let the righteousness of God direct you. excuse me, for those of you who are hurt or silent this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 tells us to mourn with those who mourn. So grieve evil, grieve injustice, in solidarity and in support of one another, as only the body of Christ can do. Especially with those who feel voiceless. This is a great way to care for the needs of those who feel violated and afraid like a widow. Or powerless like an orphan. For those of us who are angry this morning. Remember that the word of God tells us. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26. Be angry yet do not sin. And so be angry. Share honestly about your hurts. Your frustrations. And yes your anger. Speak up to call sin what it is. And But remember that you don't have to bottle things up. And that we can do so without staining ourselves. The word of God, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and 19 tells us, do not repay evil for evil. Do not take revenge. Lean room for God who says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And so we take comfort that we have a God who is just, who is powerful, who is in control, who hears and sees our affliction and is able to overcome it and pray. and as we consider the gravity of the situation in the world around us, as well as not just society, but maybe personally, your hurts and things like this, as you're hurt by the trials and temptations in this life, is what comes out of your mouth just words. What I mean is, are the things that you say, are they just in speaking the righteousness and the goodness of God to the world around us, or... In anger, are you simply returning sin for sin instead of keeping yourself unstained from the world and its values? What needs to be cleansed from you and within you this morning? Is what comes out of your mouth just words? Is it all talk and no walk? Or does the hearing of God's word flow into the living of God's word, even in how you deal with Hurts and anger in this life. Perhaps you need to express the righteousness in the word of God. In your personal integrity more. Or perhaps in the care for those who are most hurt by life today. What needs do you need to move in order to obey the word of God and to live it out today? in the testing of your faith, in the trials of life, we're called to live out the righteousness of God instead of the self-righteousness of our anger. And we do so through the work, and the power, and the person of Jesus. And while we strive for a more loving world, perhaps a more loving church as well, may we thank God that our hope is not in what we do, or fail to do, or what others do or fail to do, but in what Christ alone has done and will do when he returns. And so would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we look to our living Savior for hope and for help this morning. God, we thank you because we know that in the realities of life you talked about in the beginning of James that we will experience trials and testing and temptations But the reality is in the nitty gritty of it, when we're faced with these real hurts and pains. When we are tempted to take our anger in sinful directions. We don't always know how to live out your righteousness. And so we look to you, we look to your word to speak truth, to breathe life, to give us comfort, to give us peace, to give us hope. And so this morning, Lord, we humbly ask, whatever hurts or trials we face, whether we're in the midst of lamenting right now or there is great anger to come, would you help us, Lord, not to focus on the self-righteousness, arrogance, and entitlement of our own anger, which often goes down a sinful path but if we really care about what's right, if we're really hurt by what's wrong, that we would long to live out the righteousness of God, the righteousness of your word instead. So help us, Lord, to be quick to hear what you are saying to us in your word and in your wisdom. Help us to be slow to speak, slow to anger, because we know the quickness of our tongue and our temper does not produce your righteousness, O Lord. Would you help us to come before you in meekness as we bow before you with open hands. Take out of our hands and our heart anything that's sinful, anything that's self-righteous, that wants to play the role of judge, jury, and executioner. And instead we bow before you and allow you to put the beauty, the grace, the truth, the comfort, the peace of your word into our hands, into our heart, implanted into us, Lord, that we might live out righteousness, that we might stand up for righteousness, but that we might do it in righteous ways. May we reflect your holiness, your compassion, your justice, whether we're being hurt personally or being hurt in a societal way. God, humble us before you that in meekness it might be the antidote to our anger, Lord. And we pray that we wouldn't just talk about what's right, Lord. Help us to live out the righteousness of your word in our lives. That we would be concerned of the wrongs of this world and speak truth and love through the power of Christ. Help us not to just be armchair online trolls who who vent our anger at anyone and everyone. But may we go out into the world and really show that we care about righteousness and justice by caring for those who are most in need, that we don't just talk about what's right, that we would live it. And that, like your son Jesus says in Matthew, that, that as we live out the, the, the goodness of Christ, that men would see our light shine See our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Give us just words and give us more than just words, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.